Welcome to That One Record. I'm Kyle Crichet, and today we're doing a little bit of a different episode. This is going to be a bonus episode where I look back on 2021 and highlight some of the best of and some of my personal favorites. We're going to specifically cover music, movies, TV, kind of all of entertainment, essentially. Uh, And I'm going to rank uh, my 10 favorites in each category. If you stick around to the end of the episode, roughly the 37-minute mark, uh, you hear me talking about stuff. I'm going to have some songs at the end, a little bit quick hit kind of... uh, playlist essentially that you can listen through i'll say the band name and track again uh so if you hear something you like at the end there then um you know who it is how to find it um and if you don't want to sit through all that stuff you just want to hear the list then you can shut it off uh when we get to the actual music 2021 we still had a bit of a weird year Um, Obviously, 2020 was super messed up for releases. People had no idea what was going to happen, what touring was going to look like. Um, Some bands just fully went for it. Uh, Other bands sat on releases. Uh, Some sat on them further still. Like we know from the conversation I had with Pat Kinlan from Drug Church, uh, that Drug Church sat on a record almost the full two years. Now we have a release date for that. I believe it's May 2022 so we'll finally get to hear that but there's lots of stuff like that in 2021 was still a weird year in terms of what was going to put out who who was going to put out records what touring looked like so a bit of a mixed bag here with my list and so right off the hop we're going to start with music number 10 on my list was a band from saddle creek records uh, I believe they're from the Philadelphia area. Is Spirit of the Beehive uh, with an album called Entertainment Death. This was not at all what I was expecting it to be. Uh, I knew this band had some members of Glocomora, um, much more straightforward punk, indie kind of rock stuff. That's what I was fully expecting from this Spirit of the Beehive release. And from... Turning it on right away, it was not that at all. It's, I guess you would call it, it's very experimental. Um, you know, there's not always a full song there. There's lots of noise, sound clips, interludes. It's super difficult to describe. It's, I guess, I wanted to say it's not a typical Saddle Creek release, but Saddle Creek has been changing and kind of going with the ebbs and flows so much now that. You know, me in my old age, I can't really keep up with with what is hip and hot anymore. So I I don't actually know. If you're thinking Saddle Creek like me, cursive, bright eyes, uh, it's definitely not that. But I think if you like punk, you like that stuff, you don't mind a little bit of experimental. I spent a lot of time just putting this record on in the background, and it wasn't until I I did a kind of a close headphones listen that I really started to appreciate it. Um, But Spirit of the Beehive, Entertainment Death, my number 10 record of 2021. At number 9, we have an artist named Steve Sloan. I'll be forthcoming in this. Steve Sloan is one of my best friends. Uh, in 2021, he put out two full-length albums. This one I have number 9. is called Time is a Threat. He used to play under the name Hinnandar Touch the Sky, then just Hinnandar for a little while. Now he's just gone by his full name, Steve Sloan. He's got... A couple full lengths out now. You can go to Spotify finally and find all this stuff. He put out Time as a Threat. 
And this one is the chiller of the two. To me, this was the one I put on when I'm looking to relax, uh, when I really want to actually listen, dive deep. He's got some indie, he's got some folk, um, but it's darker than that a lot of the time. And it's the lyrics are incredible, the music is super layered and dense. He does everything himself. Um, it's truly an achievement. Number nine record of 2019, Time is a Threat from Steve Sloan. At number eight, this was a little bit more of a heavier music-centric year for me. Uh, I feel like that was part of the climate. I feel like hardcore bands, indie band, or hardcore bands, metal bands, kind of were more willing to just go out this year and tour. Already tour kind of smaller venues, smaller shows. It was a little bit easier to do stuff in, in 2021. So at number eight, I have Full of Hell, Garden of Burning Apparitions. Full of Hell is just one of the most dependable, reliable heavy acts right now. You always know it's going to rip. It's always... I can always tell it's a Full of Hell release, but that's not to say that every release sounds exactly the same. It it, it kind of reminds me, it comes from that kind of Napalm Death lineage where there's a lot of punk in it. Even though a ton of riffing, there's some huge riffs, there's some shredding on this for sure, but there's a punk and hardcore... Uh, demeanor and tone to not only the music but kind of everything this band does guarding of burning apparitions no different uh weeping choir is probably still my my favorite release from them but i thought this was a, a great heavy release for the year uh number seven we have regional justice centers crime and punishment i guess you would call it power violence um it seems to be Less shred, more, even more punk than something like the Full of Hell release, uh, which you know I'm always there for. Hardcore, super quick record, uh, does not stop, does not let you catch your breath, uh, but creative, never gets dull, uh, grabs you for just as long as you need to be grabbed, and then lets you go. Um, If you're a fan of heavy stuff, uh, comparables for me, for a normie like me, I think... um, early to mid-era ceremony type stuff, jumping off point. But it sounds like everyone in the band probably also spent some time with Tragedy and His Heroes Gone, that type of crustier stuff. So, number seven, Regional Justice Center, Crime and Punishment. At number six, for releases of 2021, I loved Godspeed You Black Emperors, God P at State's End. Godspeed has been consistently putting out music the last few years every couple years they they poke their heads up put out a release you kind of the last few you kind of knew what to expect it was godspeed you know you're putting it on um to me maybe not for some but to me it was much more background music this record though brought me back to kind of what i felt from skinny fist era godspeed It's almost structured a similar way with the shorter track, big chunk, shorter track, big chunk. Um, Cool samples, great. Just the textures, the build-ups, the the crescendos, the musicianship. If if you're into the post-rock stuff, 
you know, this is obviously one of the uh, the titans of the genre. Uh, Canadian as well, shout out. Uh, but they just... The consistency of their releases is something to marvel at, and I think this one even took another step up. It always sounds amazing, always sounds incredible, and for this type of instrumental music to have a put such an emotional hold on you, I, I think truly speaks to how great it actually is. At number five, back in a more straightforward punk release, I had um, Angel Dust Yak. Uh, the last Angel Dust record I enjoyed well enough but it didn't truly connect with me it felt like a band that was being pulled in a couple different directions and they couldn't really decide where they were going to land so I didn't I didn't fully immerse myself into it whereas Yak I felt they finally kind of picked a lane I should say the whole record is called Yak a collection of truck songs Uh, but like I was saying, I feel like they finally picked a lane. Uh, much more accessible, I would say. Some big choruses, some great hooks. Uh, I saw a bunch of live videos from release shows and tours they did around it. It looked like an amazing time. They have uh, Tim Armstrong of Rancid fame uh, doing some vocals on one of their songs. Uh, one of my favorite music moments of 2021 is a line he delivers. He just hits you with a playing on my xylophone, and it may sound ridiculous out of context right now, but I, where it hits in that song, you're like, damn, yeah, that's it. So, number five, Angel Dust, Yak, a collection of truck songs. Number four was The Armed. Similar thing to Angel Dust, the record before. Uh, I liked well enough. It was fun. It was clearly super creative. There was uh, something different about it. Not quite hardcore. You know, elements of hardcore, elements of screamo. Uh, this record, though, Ultra Pop, they just took it to a next level. I've always loved their aesthetic, their artwork, their videos. And, and same with this release. They came out with some wild music videos, some live performances. And this record just hits front to back. Uh, still the same same kind of band very experimental um, some of the songs get a little more d- pop structure there's some choruses, there's some callback parts you know, kind of some stuff they, they weren't really doing that much on prior records um, it's hard to really even keep track of who's in this band uh, like is Kurt Ballou from Converge in this band or does he just record it or produce it I don't really know but um Wild record, wild band, another heavier release on this list. That was number four, The Armed Ultra Pop. Number three, we're back with Steve Sloan. I briefly touched on it earlier. I said at number nine, with time as a threat. Well, number three here, we have an album called Chewing the Shadow. Again, full disclosure, I've known Steve forever. He's one of my best friends. This record is truly amazing. I love this record. I think also if you're a Steve, you you want to check out Steve Sloan, this is a great starting point. This is a great jumping off point. I believe it's track three on this. It's called Trapped in the Theater. It was probably my favorite song of the year. One of my favorite Steve Sloan songs ever. Um, he just has a way of capturing 
similar to Godspeed, he has a way of capturing a feeling. Now he, he obviously uses lyrics as well, which are beautiful, poetic, um, without feeling pretentious or douchey like sometimes this genre tends to have. Um, but number three, Steve Sloan, Chewing the Shadow. I, I beg you of all these to check out Steve Sloan. Um, one of my favorite artists for a long time, great friend. And, and this record specifically was was unreal. Now, my top two, I feel like, popped up on a lot of lists. I think they were pretty undeniable. Uh, at number two, I have Fiddleheads Between the Richness. Fiddlehead, X Have Heart, some members of Basement. Uh, you know, neither of those bands I ever really connected with, but Fiddlehead is one uh, I, I've really enjoyed. And... They've kind of been around doing their thing for longer than you might expect. I know a lot of people just think it's a half heart or a basement side project, but they've been kind of grinding away for a little bit now. And this full length, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway I had from this was was the, the cohesion. From start to finish, we kind of... I almost loved the first track. The last record had a lot to do with uh, the passing of the singer Pat Flynn's father uh, and the first album the first song on this album Between the Richest kind of addresses that wraps it up sums it up it's obviously such a huge event in, in one's life that you know you could kind of pull from it forever lyrically because it's going to change and it's going to transform over time but what I liked about this album is he kind of put a bow on it with the first two tracks summed it up let us know where he was at and moved on to some a little bit of different uh, writing material. Uh, musically, they took it to another level as well. Just a lot of really creative guitar parts. At times, it reminds me a lot. Uh, I don't think anything else in the music, but just guitar part-wise reminds me of those earlier Hot Water Music uh, albums where you know you got, kind of got two guitars almost sounding like they're working independent of each other. They're both kind of riffing. They're both kind of doing stuff. But when you get everything in that mix, it's so cohesive and creative. And, and there's just a lot more depth to this band than I think one or two listens really gives them credit for. I, I sat with this record for a long time, didn't listen to it for a little bit, and came back and, and, and just grew a deeper appreciation of it. So that was number two, Fiddlehead Between the Richness. Now, number one, I think most people had, at least on their list, most of the time it was number one. It was Turnstiles Glow On. This record is just undeniable. Uh, I will admit I was late to the Turnstile party. Uh, there's another great podcast called Axe to Grind. Now, when Time and Space came out, I had heard the, that's their prior record. I had heard the name a bunch, and I just never checked it out. Um, I kind of wrongly associated it with some other stuff that was happening there uh, that I didn't really dig, and so it was a blind spot for me. And a couple months before Glow On came out, I put on Time and Space for the first time, and it absolutely blew me away. I still think that is a perfect record. I, I love that album front to back. Um, it's undeniable. And Glow On took it to a whole nother stage. Now, one thing I always kind of think about or wish I saw more of in hardcore uh, is one of my favorite bands, Seven Seconds. And sonically, you might not make the connection right away uh, 
uh, between seven seconds and turnstile. But I think the most important thing for with seven seconds for me, especially growing up, was just the nature of what they were doing. This this positivity, this this looking forward, this independent thought, this this fun time for everyone around them. You know, I never with bands like Black Flag and stuff, I never really connected with with the anger, the the fury of those albums. Minor Threat being the exception cuz I just think that is the best hardcore discography of all time. I think that's undeniable, but a band like 7 Seconds really spoke to me and I I get those same feelings from this Turnstile record. Um and just the way they carry themselves, everything is an event, everything is huge, but everything is for everyone. And, you know, they play Late Night with Seth Meyers. They play a hit, but they play also probably the most hardcore-leaning song on the album. Uh, they're always repping the bands they love, helping those bands out, taking them on tour. And this album, Glow On, is just great. That The EP, which gave us Mystery, and some of the other songs on this album, I played nonstop, and when this finally came out, I couldn't get enough of it. My number one record of 2021 is Turnstile Glow On. Just as much as music, I, I spent a lot of time anticipating and seeking out uh, movie releases throughout the year. Where I live in Kitchener, I'm really close to a, a great movie theater called Princess Cinema that gets a ton of cool stuff. Um, lived in Hamilton for a little bit. They had Playhouse Cinema. Uh, you got to see a bunch of cool movies. Throughout the year, um, they were open kind of on and off. Stuff was messed up with releases and getting pushed back and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I still think there was a ton of great stuff in 2021. There's going to be more stuff in 2022. Uh, if you're a movie fan, I'm going to try and let you know um, when and where this stuff is streaming, if it's available. Some of it's still in theaters as of when this drops, but I'll, I'll try and give you an indication of where you could watch it if, if it sounds interesting to you. Number 10 was the movie Bad Trip. It's on Netflix. It comes from Eric Andre, uh, famous from the Eric Andre show, of course. If you like this guy's brand of com comedy, the movie just takes off from there. Um, they do stick to a storyline. It's not just sketches. It's not just bits. Um, I will say one of the first scenes uh, when he's working at the juice bar or whatever has one of the funniest endings to a bit I saw all year. Um, you know, pandemic year like we were in last year, sometimes it's nice to just shut the brain off and, and laugh. And uh, Bad Trip was that perfect movie for me. At number nine, I have the movie Zola. I know it's streaming on Netflix in Canada. I believe it's on Netflix in the U.S. Um, Zola was actually a Twitter thread. This is real. This was thread posted on Twitter um, from one woman's perspective of a weekend she spent doing what she thought was going to be uh, exotic dancing with another woman she had just met. The thread takes some wild twists and turns. They basically took that Twitter thread, made it into a movie. If you're a Succession fan, uh, Cousin Greg is in the movie, uh, and it follows these, these two women through... Uh, just a pretty wild weekend in, uh, I believe it's somewhere in Florida. Zola, super creative, looked great. Uh, you know, a little bit R-rated. Maybe not a family movie night. But number nine, Zola, 
Loved it a lot. Number eight was a movie called Shiva Baby. I don't believe this is streaming anywhere yet. It might be on Amazon. Uh, when you sit Shiva, I believe it is a Jewish tradition. Uh, when someone passes away, uh, you sit with the body. You have visitors, people over. Um, and we, we kind of follow this young woman um, who is seeing men for money. Um, obviously not known to her parents who are paying most of her bills. Um, while she attends school, she kind of does this on the side, make a little bit of money. Uh, when she goes to sit Shiva somewhere with her family and uh, the man she spends the most time with also shows up to the same Shiva sitting. Lots of tension. Um, a big problem I have with movies when they attempt to portray millennial life, especially like cooler, hip millennials, it always just seems like it was made by out-of-touch boomers. This doesn't do that at all. I think this is a very um, realistic uh, but very caring depiction of, of this young woman at this point in her life. Number seven, we have Pig, starring Nicolas Cage. I love Nicolas Cage. He's my favorite actor. I think he's incredible. I, I'm not joking at all. I know people, you know, think he's a bit of a goof or whatever. I think that's just foolish. I think Nick Cage rocks, and I think he's great in this. We get a reserved Nick Cage performance. Uh, the movie doesn't exactly hit tonally. It doesn't have consistency. Um... A lot of the time it's a little bit, tries to be too mushy, too preachy, but uh, I enjoyed Pig a lot. I, I avoided it at first because I heard someone say it's like John Wick, but with a pig, and I was like, well, that sounds fucking stupid. Um, but I uh, thankfully saw it anyways. If anyone tells you that, that's an absurd description. This movie is much more about grief and loss and authenticity in our current day and age than, than anything else. And I really enjoyed it, even if at times it got cheese. Um, but number seven, Pig. Number six is Licorice Pizza. It's still in theaters most places. It's the newest Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Uh, I'm a huge Paul Thomas Anderson fan. I think... It's safe to say most people are. He's one of the most prolific and, and great filmmakers living and working right now. Licorice Pizza, I really didn't know what to expect. Uh, all I had heard at first was, you know, it was starring Alana Haim from the band Haim and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, Cooper Hoffman. Which to me, I thought, okay, we've never seen these two act. Are they really going to be able to handle lead roles in a... a a Paul Thomas Anderson movie uh, you know is this just PTA you know missing his friend Philip so he's using his kid and loving the band Heim and the work he did on a bunch of their music videos and just thinking he can throw them into anything uh, but I was thankfully proven wrong I, th I thought they both were great I thought they both were phenomenal the whole Heim family the sisters the mom and dad are also in the movie um, there's a little bit of fat to this movie uh, I could use, I could have went without the the Sean Penn cameo, and although it was funny, I could have even went without the Bradley Cooper cameo. I think at the heart of this story, you know, we got this young teenage hustler, you know, with with one of those um, 
one of those crushes i think we all know when you're when you're a kid you're in those those crazy years uh, of your hormones whatever you're 15 you know whether it's the you're younger and it's the babysitter or you know it's just the older you're in grade 9 the grade 12 in high school these crushes that uh are so uh, transformative uh, at that age. This is a movie that really captures that feeling. The soundtrack's wild. It looks amazing. Uh, it moves pretty well. Uh, number six, favorite movie of the year, Licorice Pizza. At number five, we had probably my most anticipated movie of the year, Dune. Let me just say outright, me and my wife were both not really sci-fi people. We don't like fantasy. We don't like spaceships and shit like... I had actually read the book Dune before this movie came out. It was not at all what I expected. I had no interest in it for the longest time. I thought it was just some Lord of the Rings type stuff, not my lane. Uh, but the book was incredible. And and reading it, it, it was kind of fun knowing that this movie was coming, that trying to figure out in my head what they would leave in, what they would cut out, how they would do certain things. And I think he did a pretty good job of sticking to book one. Now, if if you'd see Dune and try and read Dune, I it's it's two books. The movie is just kind of the first book, the first half of the story here. So you don't get a clean and tidy conclusion to this, but we get a great setup for what's going to come in the second movie, book two. Um, lots of fun. It's... Uh, much more political than it is sci-fi and don't worry by political i don't mean all the the orange guy is bad not like it's it's got geopolitics it's got this whole uh layer of complexity to it that is is much more than your usual fantasy sci-fi world building type stuff so number five favorite movie of the year dune my number four favorite movie of 2021 was Judas and the Black Messiah. I embarrassingly didn't know that much about the story of Fred Hampton and his work with the Black Panther Party. I'm fairly certain the family of Fred Hampton worked uh, with the actors, the director, on making sure the story was as accurate as possible. This has three just absolute powerhouse performances. We have Jesse Plemons as the just the dirtiest FBI agent you could think of. That guy has just been a marvel the last few years, how good he is, uh, how, how great of an actor. Uh, you have an amazing lead performance with Daniel Kaluuya. You might recognize him from Get Out, uh, playing the lead role of Fred Hampton. Uh, and you also have Lakeith Stanfield playing the FBI informant who infiltrates the Black Panther Party gets close to Fred Hampton. All three performances, absolutely unreal. Incredibly dynamic. Uh, just powerhouses throughout. Uh, an incredible movie, a true story, uh, a truly a wild ride, and, and an education for someone like me. Number four, Judas and the Black Messiah. At number three, I had Mike Mills, Come On, Come On. Uh, Mike Mills is... A director who I, I kind of follow on the periphery. He did some work with The National. He has an amazing movie called 20th Century Woman. Uh, so when I saw it was a Mike Mills film with Joaquin Phoenix, I was immediately on board. And I was super excited because the last few years we've kind of got a super unhinged Joaquin Phoenix. I feel like his role in The Master just kick-started this uh, domino effect of just playing these absolutely unhinged characters. Um, 
I didn't see the Joker, but he seems pretty wild in that. Uh, so we got uh, kind of a a nice, schlubby, heartfelt, uh, compassionate performance from Joaquin uh, that I I really missed. When when he's tender, he's so great. He he's one of the best actors. Period. But he's got this uh, relatability, this this pure heartedness that I think really shines in this movie. Also, shout out to Gabby Hoffman, uh, who plays his sister in this, uh, plays the mother of the the child this movie kind of centers around. She puts on an absolute clinic. She has a truly incredible performance in this movie. Um, So compassionate, uh, such a realistic depiction uh, uh, of trying to be a loving and conscious parent uh, when things are as hard as they can get. Um, she just, it was such a relatable, uh, just compassion is the word I have throughout this movie for, for everyone, for the themes, uh, for everything I felt watching it. Uh, number three, we have come on, come on. Number two, I have another Netflix movie. Uh, it's called the hand of God. Uh, this one is by maybe my favorite working director. His name is Paolo Sorrentino. Uh, a few years back, I saw a movie he put out called The Great Beauty that is definitely in my top ten favorite movies of all time. Uh, I've never seen... One of the things I love most about film that I, I don't get from music is I like to feel those the emotion that, say, a Godspeed record gives me, but I want to see it. I, I don't want to hear it. I want to see it. I want to feel it visually. Uh when I when I find a director who can do that, you know, instead of just telling a story, I, I'm the kind of person who can watch movies that maybe don't have the tightest narratives. I think this movie, The Hand of God, it's on Netflix. I believe it was a Netflix exclusive. Uh, Sorrentino put out. It's very autobiographical. Um, kind of relates. He uses the the figure of Maradona, the the soccer player. Uh, to kind of reconnect with his childhood. Listen, I couldn't care less about soccer, but this movie still hit me. Uh, it's a beautiful coming-of-age story. It's a you know centered around a, a horrible tragedy, dealing with grief, um, becoming uh, becoming the the man he ended up becoming. Um, he also works on. I think he just produces, occasionally directs a show called My Brilliant Friend which is based off of a, a series of books. If you haven't seen that either, it kind of flew under the radar because it's in Italian, I believe. Um, but Sorrentino made that show. He made this movie, The Hand of God. And he's got such a distinct style and, and way of making movies. Once you've seen a couple, you can kind of, you know, within the first couple scenes, you know you're in a Paolo Sorrentino movie. So number two, The Hand of God. Number one was also one of the movies I was most anticipating from pretty much the second I heard how well it did at the Cannes Film Festival. The number one movie of 2021 for me was Titan. Julie Decornay, I believe that's how you say her last name, um, a French filmmaker, she put out a movie a couple years ago called Raw. And it was one of... It's... It's still jarring when I think back to it. It was just such a unique premise, uh, 
crazy performances, a truly wild twist ending um, that I know was fairly divisive. Uh, but this was her follow-up movie. It won Best Film at Cannes Film Festival. Listen, if I try and talk through a description right now, I'll sound like a truly crazy person. The premise is unhinged, is truly wild. To kind of sum it up quickly, um, a woman is fleeing from a crime. Uh, she sees a missing child ad. You know, it's a kind of a computer generation of, you know, this kid went missing 15 years ago. This is what we think they would look like now. Um, and she basically poses as this kid. The picture kind of looks... Not really like her, but vaguely. So the whole time you're watching this, you're trying to... Even you as the audience are trying to decide, okay, is are people actually believing this? Or is this, you know, such a grief-stricken parent that he is just accepting this love, even if he knows it's an impersonator? It's very complex. And then just to throw you a curveball... Um, there's a bunch of murders, and uh, I think the main character is in a relationship with a car. So like I said, it sounds truly unhinged, truly crazy. If you just try and give the premise to your friends or, like I did, try and describe it to my wife, you will get laughed at. But I can promise you this will be unlike anything you've ever seen before. And just like uh, the her movie before it, another truly wild ending. Um my number one movie of 2021, Titan. Some other things that I really enjoyed um, that I'd like to highlight in 2021. My favorite TV show was uh, the remake or reboot of Scenes from a Marriage. This was originally an Ingmar Bergman uh, Swedish TV miniseries about a, kind of a failed marriage. They rebooted it in 2021 with Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain, two just absolute heavyweights. Um, there is not a single light moment in this miniseries. It is heavy through and through. It is a very close and uh, often too close and uncomfortable look at a marriage that's falling apart. Um, every time you think you're coming back up for air and they're going to let you go a little bit, uh, it's really just to just bring you back down and destroy you even further. Um, it's a tough watch, especially if you're watching it with a partner. Uh, but it was definitely one of my favorite uh, shows from the year. I also loved on Disney Plus something I never thought I would ever care about, but the series Get Back, the documentary about kind of the last thing the Beatles did. Um, never been a Beatles fan. Uh, you know, I've at times been that guy. You know, that guy who just hates the Beatles and stuff because... Everybody loves them. Um, that was much more in my youth, but I just, I, it was just something that I never dove into, and it, it seemed too dense, and I was too old to get into it now. But I had too many people tell me that this mini series was good. I love. I can pretty much watch any music documentary, especially when it's an in the studio making of. You know, I have an entire podcast about making records. It's one thing I just love more than anything, but God damn, did I ever leave that with just a ton of respect for all four of those guys. 
specifically Paul McCartney more than anyone to see just the gears turning, the wheels in motion, that guy working, that guy, uh, you know, having these great songs on his own, but fighting, uh, fighting everything to just try and get all four of them to be this cohesive unit. Cause he knew that together they were much greater than they were individually. It was just an incredible look at one of the most famous bands, if not the most famous band in one of their most turbulent times. Um, just stuff you never get to see. You know, you get little fourth wall breaks, you know, they're they're about to argue over a song and, you know, the mic catches Paul saying like, oh, I really didn't want to do this. I didn't want to have this fight in front of the cameras, <laughs> and, you know, but he's got to do it anyway. You get to see these recording studios, you get to see them working. It was such an incredible in-depth look. Uh, I can't recommend it enough to the Beatles fan, to someone who maybe thinks they're not a Beatles fan. I, I know it sure as hell won me over. Uh, but that was Get Back, streaming now on Disney+. Plus. 2022, uh, you know, is here now. We've already had some pretty wild uh, record announcements. I know things are getting messed up now with COVID numbers. Uh, I'm hoping tours can happen in the spring. We'll see. Uh, but if you stuck around this long, we're going to hit now with a, uh, with a little playlist uh, of one or two tracks from each of my top ten releases. Give you a little taste uh, uh, of what it is I'm talking about here. And if there's anything you like, please check it out further. Buy the record, support, like on Instagram. All, all those things count up. All those things matter. Uh, we'll be back to regular episodes very, very soon. Um, and I've got some pretty good ones coming, so I'm excited for that. Thanks for sticking around, and let's listen to some tracks. Let's kick it off with Turnstile. The song is called Blackout off of my favorite album of 2021, Glow On.
That was Turnstile with Blackout. Now we have Fiddlehead, The Years, off the album Between the Richness. That was The Years from Fiddlehead. Next we have Steve Sloan with my favorite song of 2021, Trapped in the Theater. Seinfeld and 
Steve Sloan with Trapped in the Theater. Now we're going to get a little more wild with The Armed. This one is called A Life So Wonderful. Yeah. 
That was The Armed with A Life So Wonderful. Now we have Angel Dust dancing on the radio. Angel Dust with Dancing on the Radio. Next up, we have Regional Justice Center with Inhuman Joy off the album Crime and Punishment. Rapper. And 
That was Regional Justice Center with the song Inhuman Joy. We're going to keep it heavy and roll right into Full of Hell with Burning Apparition. That was Full of Hell with Burning Apparition. Let's take it down a few notches. This is Steve Sloan off of his album, Time is a Threat. This song is called The Bad is Waiting. The bad is waiting for me in the parking lot. The bad is waiting for me down on every block. bad is waiting for me in the coffee shop No matter where I go, it's there But mostly I am always scared The bad is waiting for you on the telephone Is waiting for you once the birds have flown and you're on your own. Bad is waiting for you like a chaperone. No matter where you go, it's there. But mostly you are always scared. 
Was Steve Sloan off the album Time is a Threat. That song is called The Bad is Waiting. Next up, from Spirit of the Beehive, we have the song Bad Son.
That was the song Bad Son from Spirit of the Beehive. And to close this all out, we're going to go with Godspeed You, Black Emperor. Um, if you liked what you heard here, like I said before, please uh, check out any of this stuff. It's all on Spotify, Bandcamp. There's way to get records. We're going to close out Godspeed You, Black Emperor off the album God's Pee at State's End. This song is called Our Side Has to Win. <laughs> 